Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Bruce Hooley, Chris Spielman with you. Hey, we've only got six games of Ryan Day, and people are already trying to send him off to the NFL. The NBA uh, proving that billion-dollar companies have no clue when it comes to crisis management. And the (laughs) Browns in, uh, wow, complete meltdown in San Francisco and questions about... Freddie Kitchen's future. Who would have thought, Spiels, that uh, Zach Taylor would be the winless coach and would have uh, more standing, although not a ton more, with his fans than Freddie Kitchens does with the Browns? Well, the simple reason is that Freddie Kitchens has tools to work with where Zach Taylor has nothing to work with right now because of the loss of the two starting offensive tackles, your top two wide receivers, including maybe a top five receiver in the game, and A.J. Green, even though he's 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, there's an understanding of what Zach is, is going through with Cleveland. John Dorsey made all these investments, and I, I think they're good investments. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, but it's always tough to buy a football team. It's never worked. Uh, you know, it it's a worked. team, and yeah. when you just get piece and piece and piece and piece and piece, it takes a while it, it, for the pieces it, to become cohesive. And then then now, now there's questions about Baker Mayfield, right? Eight for twenty two for hundred yards is worst not, QB rating in the NFL. It's not going to get it done. And the thing with Baker is, look, I think Baker's got a bright future. I really do. I just don't know this question about him. It, it, you eventually are going to have to win a game at that position. That's what you're going to have to do. For your team to be elite. And you're going to have to bring a team back when you're behind. That means you're going to have to be able to throw the ball, and the other team knows you're going to be throwing the ball, and you have to throw the ball effective. This team, we talked about it in preseason. I remember coming back here after uh, looking at the Browns in preseason, actually going up there and doing a game of the Browns, and the one question I had was what? The offensive line. Offensive line. The offensive line is in such a disadvantage, especially if they're not really highly skilled as a unit. I mean, they're all NFL players. Don't get don't get me uh, off track here. But as a unit, they're not playing together. And so when the defense – and especially if you have pass rushers like Nick Bosa or DeForest Buckner or Eric Armstead or, or, Eric Armstead or D. Ford, uh, those guys have such an advantage because offensive linemen like to be able to be the hitter as opposed to the hitee. You think about pass blocking and a technique involved. You are sitting there absorbing hits. Yeah, and Jim Shea always talks about an offensive lineman being a catcher or a puncher. Yeah. And when the other team is pass rushing, you're a catcher. That's all you have to do. And it's, it's it gets exhausting and puts a lot of pressure on an offensive line. And with today's skill of NFL pass rushers, which is at a high level, that makes that job that much more difficult. So when were the Browns most effective when they played the Ravens and they were balanced? And, and, and I get I mean, everybody wants balance. That's all I hear. Balance, balance, balance. But you can only be balanced uh, if you're not <laughs> playing from behind. You got to be close or playing from ahead to be balanced. And they just put themselves in an awful situation. And I keep going back to this. And and uh, for me, you know, quarterbacks, Bruce, quarterbacks are, are like uh, taste in, in women, I guess, for guys, right? We all have our taste. Yeah. Everybody right? has a certain type they like. Uh, Blonde, percent, brunette, yeah. whatever. I got a, I got a type I like yeah. at quarterback. I like the Kyler Murray type. I like the Baker Mayfield type. I, I like the Russell Wilson type. I like guys that can run. But the difference right now, and 
people look at me and this doesn't, they think my argument doesn't make sense. And I, I don't know where you stand on this because I don't know if you've ever come back at me on this, but I can't have a quarterback emotional. I, I don't want an emotional guy. I mean, I, I don't care if he gets fired up once in a while on a bench, but out on the field, I don't want a guy swinging his arms when a guy makes a play. I want I've him you know, to go celebrate or whatever, but you, you can't be emotional because you make bad choices and bad decisions. I've said this time after time after time. He devotes a ton of mental energy to things that have nothing to do with winning. All the chirping, all the I'm a walk-on, all the us-against-the-world yeah. stuff, in small doses, okay. And I do think or, some of it is a maturity that you learn that, you know what, that really isn't helping me, and I need to be doing this. Or I, And I think, too, your team takes its cue from its leader. He's right. the quarterback, so he has leadership thrust upon him. There's greatness. I mean, great leaders are people who do it on the field. If you have both in a quarterback, you really have something. But I don't think him setting the emotional temperature of the team where he sets it is going to serve them best in the long term. And again, some of that's maturity. I think he'll grow into it. Well, let me say this. I hope he grows into it because if he doesn't, he's never going to achieve what he could achieve. I I agree. He has all the tools and all the talent to to be an outstanding quarterback. I just think that walk-on mentality, I mean, I kept that my whole career, but I internalized it after a few years. <laughs> you know, you didn't like, put out a brand of clothing with it. <laughs> well, and you it, weren't the Heisman Trophy winner right. and the number one overall pick coming out. You were a, what was it, 29th overall pick? Yes. 29th yes. overall pick. Yeah, second round. In a 28-team league. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's why we say 29th. 29th <laughs> overall pick. Because now there's 32 teams yeah. and people go, well, he went late in the first round. Yeah. Well, let's let them think that. Let's let them think that <laughs> until today. Yes, Until here's, pro- proven otherwise. Here's how it went bad for the Browns uh, from the first play of the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night. It is uh, unfortunately your flashes of fun, picture perfect play of the day. And he's got this running game working, as you see with Matt Breida. And look at the speed on Breida. What a way to start it. 83-yard touchdown! That was way too easy and a harbinger of things to come for the San Francisco 49ers. Flashes of fun will take care of your senior pictures. Uh, Any kind of family picture, pet pictures. Flashes of fun. Book it online. Flashes of fun.com and get up to $50 off. Easy to work with. Fun to work with. Flashes of fun.com. So on our preview of the game on Monday, we talked about the San Francisco 49ers being a physical run dominant team. We talked about... uh, uh, Matt Breida, and I know because I was the voice of the 49ers last year. I did a game earlier against the Bengals of the 49ers. I knew how good this team was simply because I've watched them uh, probably five out of their last eight games mm-hmm. up close, and I've talked to their coaches, and I knew what Matt Breida could bring to the table. I knew what Mostert, who wasn't even involved with a healthy Tevin Coleman, Kyle Juszczyk, although he hurt his knee, Still I mean, those guys, out are, there. George Kittle, uh, there's a reason. I was on Twitter to, uh, arguing about George Kittle, and they're asking me. Uh, there was a, a quote or a tweet that I responded to. It was from uh, Jer- uh, Daniel Jeremiah and talks about innovators. Kyle Shanahan is an innovator. Every team that I've done, they try to think of ways to take George Kittle out of the game. Everybody doubles him. 
because they have receivers that are on an NFL scale, mm-hmm. great players, great, you know, all that, but they're still on an NFL scale. They're average receivers. There's not anybody there that's going to freak you out, right? No. Uh, and so he's able to still scheme Kittle open, and Kittle's very good. And he's an innovator because they're running old-school football, and defenses sometimes get out of whack because everybody's spreading out looking to play the matchup game. So... Uh, they're just a good team, but I, I'm not I'm not giving up on the Browns because I know the Browns can play very well at times. But every week in the NFL, uh, there is a panicville in some team, yes. right? Last week it was in Minnesota when the Bears beat the Vikings. The Vikings come out and look like Super Bowl contenders again against the an undermanned Giants team, but that game wasn't even that close. Twenty-eight to ten, it wasn't that even. It should have been forty-two to ten. They fumbled on a two and they took a knee one time. So they're panicking in Chicago. They're panicking yeah, in L.A. It's, it's the Rams every week. are panicking. It's, the Chargers are panicking, and then they'll come back and they'll look like world beaters. And yeah, that's wouldn't the shock NFL. me. Wouldn't shock me if the Browns look like world beaters Sunday against the Seahawks. But it also wouldn't shock me. If the Seahawks come in and beat them, and then they play the Patriots. Now, the schedule softens up the second half of the year, and the AFC North is still there to be won. It's a soft division. Outside the division, AFC North teams are 3-11, and and the wins are over, like the Browns win over the Jets, and somebody in the division's beaten the Dolphins, and they're not wins to write home about. But here's what worries me with the Browns. The quarterbacks they've beaten are not, in my opinion, and we disagree on Lamar Jackson, but I don't think we disagree on Luke Falk. Uh... They're not quarterbacks you have to beat to get in the playoffs or to win in the playoffs. The quarterbacks who've beaten them, Marcus Mariota, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, are the kinds of quarterbacks you have to beat to get in the playoffs and to win in the playoffs. And they're not beating them. Here's the thing about... And Russell uh, Wilson's an MVP candidate at this point. And by the way, I don't think I need to go into Tom Brady's resume. Well... I, I just want to go back to Baker again because I can tie this in with quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield. Like we talk about Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, those types of guys, right? Ba- um, I was talking with Cliff Kingsbury last week, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And, I, and he's talking about decision-making of Kyler Murray, how it's gotten better. Okay, well, tell me how and why. Well, because we watch a film, he learns of. He said probably the biggest thing that helps Kyler Murray's growth is after every Seattle Seahawks game, we sit there and watch Russell Wilson tape. And we watch Russell Wilson when he decides to keep the ball, when he decides to get out of the pocket, when he decides to uh, take a shot and run it and just take the loss or throw it away or take no gain. The elimination of negative plays. And I think that's what Baker needs to, to get in control and understand that he doesn't need to make a miraculous throw every single time. He doesn't need to escape right. I was listening to a replay on the radio. It was kind of like our Flashes of Fun play mm-hmm, of the day. Mm-hmm. And it was a San Francisco 49er guy talking about Bosa sack when Bosa planted the flag. And he was describing the play. And he says, and there's Baker Mayfield. He escapes right. He always rolls right. So mm-hmm. even if the radio guy is on that, mm-hmm. everybody else is on that. Yep. So those are just little things. So... My unsolicited advice to Freddie Kitchens in the Baker Mayfield is if you want to be the best quarterback you can be and you have the talent to do this, take every game that Russell Wilson uh, plays 
And in your preparation or in your time at home, watch what Russell Wilson does and watch the decision-making that he does. And don't look at the yards that he accumulates. Look at the yards that he saves. That's an interesting thought. Hold that. I want to pursue that more deeply. Uh, the Spielman and Hooley Insider Newsletter is out. First edition mailed this week. How do you get it? You go to SpielmanandHooley.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's right there, yeah. an email address. Give us your email address. It has our plans for the podcast on Wednesday and Friday. It will have Chris's NFL schedule going forward. Uh, it will have podcast links. Uh, it will have a faith corner and uh, on links that you may have missed yeah. that we use for show prep. So sign up for that. Uh, also, review our podcast, if you would, please. Go to pleasereviewmypodcast.com, search Spielman and Hooley, and we have our review of the day. This one comes from A.J. Webb. He says, two of my favorite personalities are back. Both are great on detailed sports analysis, but more importantly, super humble dudes that are extreme examples of what a man should be in today's world. Woo, I don't know there. Uh, couldn't be more happy that my morning and afternoon drives have some substance again. The faith-based part they sprinkle in is real-life examples uh, that men can use without uh, them being preachy. So thank you, AJ. We appreciate that very, very much. Uh, send us your email, Spielman and Hooley Podcast uh, at gmail.com. We thank West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating for sponsoring the podcast, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, servicing all of Central Ohio. Important to remember, you say, I'm in Gahanna. Why would I call West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating? Because... You won't have to sit around all morning waiting on your plumber, waiting on your heating and cooling guy because they'll be there on time when they say they'll be there and because they'll give you hundreds off the installation of a new Lennox high-efficiency furnace. Plumbing, they can uh, nail it from the beginning, new construction to any problem you have. A lot of times can't even get a plumber to come out and give you an estimate. West Jeff will do it. On the web, westjeffplumbingandheating.com, 614-879-9606, 614-879-9606. It's interesting to me you think... Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson are comparables. You said earlier, and I don't think you mean this. Maybe you do. Baker Mayfield, you put him in the category with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray as running quarterbacks. No, no, no. Guys that can move around, mobile, not running. Mobile quarterbacks. So here would be my comparable for Baker Mayfield because I think Kyler Murray is on the – I think Cliff King's very smart to have Kyler Murray watch Russell Wilson. I think they are comparable. And you don't want Kyler Murray to take hits. And Russell Wilson never takes a hit. He knows the rules. He uses the rules to his benefit. We talked about that on Monday. The comparable I would have Baker Mayfield watch as a relocating quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. I I think you can add that into that group, too. I think you can add those guys into it because Aaron is certainly – the mobile quarterback that is quote unquote my type because I professed my love for Aaron Rodgers over the years as a, as a you quarterback. You have him number one all time, don't you? You've said that before, number one all time. Yeah, I thought I made the switch this year to somebody. Um, obviously, I wasn't committed to that somebody because I can't remember who I said. Wasn't Brady? <laughs> no, I, I mean that just because I think somebody's great doesn't diminish the greatness of Tom Brady. Yeah, true. That's true. It, I mean, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not my type. What it's about having him. Baker watch Drew Brees? I don't Drew's think a I, relocator. Uh, Drew's a relocator within the pocket. <coughs> I think that would benefit well, that's him. That's where we need but Baker I, to but, be. But I don't think he's that type of player. I think he's a Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers type of player. I think Drew Brees is not that type of player. I do think Baker throws on the run really well. 
He made some throws in the 2017 Ohio State game on the that's run. Russell, amazing. It's, it's, that's why I go. It's comparable to Russell okay. Wilson. So that so if I'm that type of player, first of all, I have to identify myself of what type of player I am. Second enough, I have to humble myself enough to see, okay, who's playing at a level where I want to be, and why not watch what he does and. And I'm not saying, like, oh, Baker, you'll never be Russell Wilson or you should look to Russell Wilson. All I'm saying is this is who you are. This is what you're comparable to. Look what he does. And, again, I'm going back to the point that um, – and I'm, I want to make one other point after this point, but I'm going back to the point it's not about the yards accumulated with Russell Wilson. It's often about the yards that are saved. It's hidden yards in a football game, Bruce. It means everything because every coach I talk to, this these aren't just like my own opinions. These are validated, backed-up opinions when I talk to coaches because I talk to them about – I ask them questions that I think nobody asks. I'm not interested in touchdown passes. I'm not interested in uh, completion percentage. I'm interested in decision-making and yards saved and what's your philosophy. And I had a, a good conversation with Kingsbury, and I'm going to have another one with him. His – his biggest thing with the Cardinals, and we talk with Zach Taylor, it's the same thing. It's stop the negative plays. The negative plays kill you. Yeah. And negative plays, whether they're stupid penalties, now some penalties are going to happen, but stupid mental penalties that put you behind the chains, or whether it's a quarterback not getting rid of the football or deciding to try to do something great and understand that, hey, throw it away, punt, or you know, let's make it second and 10 as opposed to second and 17. Ryan Day talks about that all the time with Justin Fields. He said be, twice this year his favorite play in a game was a throwaway yeah, to avoid well, the negative play. Well, he's still – Justin stills holding the ball a he little is. bit too long, in my my opinion. All right, your other point you wanted to make about uh, – uh, The other point is that there, I changed this, and I made this uh, observation on uh, Sunday, and I said it in the broadcast – that I used to think, I changed my whole mindset on this, I used to think that it was impossible for a, a quarterback that can run the football. Now, I want to preface it by saying Kyler Murray's a passer first and runner second. Russell Wilson, passer. All these NFL guys are passer first but runner second. But quarterback run can be part of the NFL football game this day and age for this reason. First of all, the rules are set up for them to excel in the running game. Because they are protected. They are protected within the pocket. Are they protected? As, they're not protected if they are a runner, though. Right? If you well, run the zone not, read, am I right they, on they, that? They, they are protected. In not, not, they're not protected in a sense. Um, they're protected because subconsciously in defenders' minds, when they see a quarterback run, I, I don't. yeah, you, you back off, right? And when I go back to the game I did the first game with Matt Ryan, he acted like he was going to run a bounce, and he turned up field and got eight more yards because three Viking defenders pulled off of him. Yeah. So they are protected in that sense. In a defensive player's minds, I can't hit the guy. The other thing is quarterbacks, when they do run the football, they can control when they get hit and when they don't get hit, right? And these guys are such good athletes. Russell Wilson, uh, eighth or eighth or ninth pick overall by the Oakland Athletics understands how to do a baseball slide. Yeah. They don't have to take shots. They can get five or six yards on a carry and go down. And, and when you see them going down, guys are pulling off ahead of time. Yeah, because they're scared to death yeah. of, of getting fined or getting or tossed. Hurt. So yeah. that's why Cliff Kingsbury, and, and um, I'm going to ask him if he made this conscious decision, his play calling 
determined that he made this conscious decision, that the quarterback called runs was part of the game plan uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. And Kyler doesn't like called runs, but he understands for him to be his most effective, he has to be able to execute zone reads and bootlegs and all that kind of good stuff. Well, when I watched you and Tom do the Bengals-Cardinals game, it looks to me like when they run Kyler Murray, it's a it's a free five yards, and that gets the, out of the negative place. Exactly. It gets you into second and short. It gets you into those ideal downs that you want, and so yeah. it would be dumb not to take it. And plus, NFL defenses rarely account. Now, they're learning to because of what were the evolution of the game, they're learning to account. They don't know how to account for the extra man in the backfield, which is the quarterback. The quarterback. Sure. That's, that's that's the essence of Urban Meyer's offense for years and years. Whole mentality. And years. That's There's it. no defender devoted to the quarterback, so we're going to run the quarterback. And Urban ran the quarterback 200 times a year, and he's got three national to three national championships. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, before we get to Ryan Day and the Redskins and Dwayne Haskins and all that, two quick non. Well, they're 49er Browns related things. You alluded to the flag plant with Nick Bosa. Let's handle handshake gate, first of all. Now, you've yeah. said many times, Richard Sherman, thoughtful guy. You really like Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman rips Baker Mayfield after the game, wouldn't shake my hand, la, 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 la. Video yesterday, Baker Mayfield shook his hand. And in my view, and I, I don't have a dog in this fight, okay? Like, I, I, I'm down on Baker right now like every Browns fan is. Richard Sherman is the one who blew by Baker Mayfield in the pregame handshake line. Baker's standing there like facing forward, and Sherman walks by him, gives him the right shoulder, quick handshake, walks by. And I don't care about the pregame handshake. And I'm just, like, is Richard Sherman, like, all adrenaline up after the game, and it's just, like, feast on Baker Mayfield thing? But what is that? He's in Hall of Famer. What's he doing punching down to Baker Mayfield? I think that what you said, I think there was emotions and, you know, Baker – when when you when you talk a lot and things don't go your way things get magnified and escalated people like making you look bad yeah in, in and maybe opinion. even look for additional reasons that didn't happen to make you look here bad here was my rule uh i always when the initial coin toss when we went out there and we look at i shook the hands of the opponents or the guy I across i bet you them. loved that uh I, I mean, I just didn't say anything. Just, okay, uh, and just one guy it's usually. It's obligatory, right? Yeah, it's some guy. This is not my personality. That was and, Sherman's thing. Respect for the game. Okay, he shook your hand. Okay, well, but once the coin toss and said, okay, the Lions win the toss, they choose to defer, I didn't go over and shake the guy's hand again. I left. And after the game, I didn't shake the guy's hand. Was it, I mean, it's, it's why? You yeah, know? that's why I thought it was petty on Richard Sherman's part. You know, it, that's like... Um, it just doesn't – it's not a big deal. You got your interception. You got your win. Take it and go home. Now, as for Nick Bosa's flag plant. That's pretty good. Uh, that's that's pretty good. I mean, you got you got that coming, and uh, and I don't think Baker objected to it. It's like, hey, he won the game. Okay, good for him. Yeah. Um, I heard an interesting point yesterday by uh, Andy Baskin. Remember Andy Baskin, former Channel 10 sports guy, now in uh, 92.3 in Cleveland. Andy Baskin said – and he's – I think where you fall on the flag plant depends on whether you're more of a Buckeye fan or more of a Browns fan. If you're more mm-hmm. of a Buckeye fan, you loved it. If you're more of a Browns fan, you're like, eh, I don't know about that. Andy must be more of a Browns fan because he said, and I just thought it was an interesting take, that Nick Bosa, he finds an interesting guy to be the poster child for defending Ohio State's honor given the fact that Nick Bosa tapped out 
his senior year. Tap out. I mean, that's you know well, that, that view's that's his out opinion. There. Well, that's fine. <coughs> I had no problem with what Nick Bosa did. He Absolutely was at Ohio State not. to become an NFL draft pick, and he became one, and so he took care of himself. But I just thought that was an interesting view. I get that. But the other thing is, if he wasn't 100% to play and he's got a millions and millions of dollars, you can't play. You can't risk that. And I would ask Andy that what decision would you make if you were in Nick Bosa's situation? What decision would you tell your son to make? Yeah. I'd have told him to make that same decision. What, uh, yeah, what decision would you make? And if you're if you're out there and you have – was it a growing injury? I, I can't – uh, yeah. like a yeah, lower mid, ab, middle lower ab thing. Which core do, those yeah. things take a long, long time to heal. And if you're not for right, a guy who twists, yeah. and turns a corner, and all that. And yeah. if you're not completely healed, you're going to re-aggravate that, and you're going to risk a lot of things. Then you're going twentieth. Yeah. Day. So, but Nick Bosa, I think, is a guy that, uh, to me, is is it's fine that he did the flag plan. I thought it was funny. I make I think it's interesting. I'm not in the smack talk a lot, but if it's unique and funny and it goes back two years and he's been carrying that for two years, I thought it was great. Yeah. I did. I can't help it. Yeah, it was it was clever. Not, I mean, it was not my style, but that's you know yeah, it was it's, very, very clever. Um boy, he was so dominant. And you, you know, going back to what you said on the Browns offensive line, and this will be the last point on it for today, and then we'll get back into the Browns on Friday. You can't expect less than that. The Browns have to be the first team in the history of the NFL to release their starting left tackle 10 days before the opener with the hopes of re-signing him at a more team-friendly deal. Exposing Greg Robinson to 31 other teams. And they did it because, you know, if Greg Robinson gets picked up by somebody else, we'll just get another guy because there's tons of guys out there who are as good as Greg Robinson. If they made that decision for any other reason, they're stupid, and I don't think John Dorsey's stupid, but they just have an average, not even average, left tackle. And when you put him against an elite talent like Nick Bosa, you get two sacks, a fumble caused, and a fumble recovery. Yeah, well, first of all, there was a deal in place already that, and Robinson's been around long enough that he's he was released, not waived. You just don't see that. No, teams releasing their left tackle. No, you don't. You don't. Quarterbacks blindside. You don't see that, but I'm saying that that decision wasn't made without a a deal that was already in place. I I get that. My larger point is he's not very good. Well, they're not very good when you're trailing in the game so bad, where all you have to do is backpedal. Then you're and you're going to go one on one against Nick Bosa, who uh, the only other player that's as good with his hands as a pass rusher than Nick Bosa is Joey Bosa. Those two are the best in the league with their hands. Now, Aaron Donald does some dominant things, but I'm just talking about hands. Mm-hmm. And both Bosa brothers, a guy from San Francisco just texted me last night and said, what makes Bosa so good? And he, I just, this, it's this simple. Both of them play with their hands, and their hands are so fast and their counter moves are so good that it's very difficult on an offensive lineman. If you ever notice, both of them play with an extreme forward lean but on balance. Their backs are flat, so they play with low pad level and an extreme forward lead in their balance. And both of them can turn that corner like nobody's business where they don't lose speed or don't have to gather steps. There's no wasted steps when they turn the corner. So what that allows them to do, both of them, is play at a faster speed than their timed speed. That's what makes them so good. Can't get your hands on them because they don't allow it. All right. 
the NFL would love to get its hands on Ryan Day. That's been the thought since Ryan Day came to Ohio State from San Francisco. And yesterday, Ryan Day answering questions during the Buckeyes off week uh, with the firing of Jay Gruden in Washington. And with Dwayne Haskins, hey, Jay being, didn't seem uh, overly upset about the uh, firing, did he? No, I think he's glad to get out of the building. Uh, with Dwayne Haskins being the Redskins' fifteenth overall pick, uh, Ryan Day got questions about what he would do if the Washington Redskins called him. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you asking. And I think you know, being in a place like Ohio State, anytime there's success, things like this are going to come up. I don't ever really want to talk about any of that stuff. I just. Um, I love it here, and this is where I want to be. So, uh, no, no matter whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, even for the next five, ten, hopefully twenty years while I'm here, I just I really don't want to comment on that because I don't think it's good for anybody. Okay, so he did not say he wouldn't be interested, uh, because some people are saying, "Ah, oh, he says he's staying at Ohio State." No, he didn't say that. He just said he's not going to talk about it. And Chris, we've been around and around on this with a million coaches. I don't think there's ever any perfect way to answer that question i think his answer is the is the best way to answer the question i i, I think how i would answer it i thought about this it's interesting mm-hmm. because i know we have this conversation once a year of the best way to answer it and so i was thinking about it yesterday because i knew we would probably talk about it on our podcast today and i came up with this okay. here's the best coach's answer i'm not talking about hypotheticals i live in That's a great. very very strange world and an unstable world of coaching. So I am refusing to talk about hypotheticals because that's a, that would be crazy on my part. That's and that's the en- end of that conversation. Okay, but I'm not talking about hypotheticals. But here's my here's what I would tell him to say because I think your answer leaves an opening. Let's say in the instance where you know the Redskins have reached out to him, then it's not a hypothetical. And he has to answer what he's going to do about the Redskins reaching out to him. Which, by the way, he said they have not. My answer would be, I talk about the job that I have. The only job I ever talk about is the job that I have. Yeah, I think that's kind of, we're saying the same thing. It really? is, but I think if if the Redskins have reached out to him, he can say, I only talk about the job that I have. Well, they've reached out to you. I only talk about the yeah. job that I have. But the Redskins uh, would never reach out directly to him. I no, talked to his agent. Well, yeah. there's not reaching out to him. No, it's true. So, um, what do you think about uh, look? I the think Washington this, Redskins are a train wreck. I think Ryan Day is going to have NFL opportunities. He's going to have good NFL opportunities. That's not one of them. I think that Ryan Day will be an NFL head coach. There's no doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of when. Now that could be ten years from now. It could be 15 years from now. And so when you tease this, don't say that Spielman says Ryan Day is going in the NFL. No, I said, I didn't say that. I just, I'm writing down the time on the podcast because yeah, that's a great quote. But I, I think he will be an NFL head coach at some, some, day, point, at some point in his coaching career. So when you put that tease, will you please do it that way? I don't. If I, maybe I won't tease it. Maybe I just no, want to write you, that down. Well, you're you've you've all of a sudden had an inside letter that I wasn't made aware of, Mister CEO. Just <laughs> do you want to be? Do you want to be called no. to the board meetings? No, I don't. I didn't think so. No. <laughs> you know, I agree with you. I think yeah. he is going to be yes, an NFL no head doubt. coach. And so I was thinking last night. Okay, Bruce, if you think he's going to be an NFL head coach, 
in an over-under scenario, which is always the way, you know, we approach these kinds of things in sports, over-under national championships for Irvin Meyer at Ohio State when he's hired, over-under this. You set the number at a place where it's hard to decide, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, maybe over, maybe under. How long do I think he's going to be the head coach at Ohio State? And I would say I'd set the over-under at... I'm interested in this. Four and a half years. I was going to say five, yeah. 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 I think it's five years. Here's the thing. I think as a competitor and as a coach, you want to challenge yourself against the best in the world. And I think the, the majority of the best coaches in the world are in the NFL. I would want to challenge myself to see where that is. Then if it doesn't work out, he can always be like Saban. Come back and get another college job. He's already... I think I know he's a good coach. I know he inherited incredible talent. Thank you, Urban Meyer. Yes, he did. But I do think that I would be surprised. I would even go as far as saying I would be surprised if he's not an NFL head coach within five years. And the reason I set it at four and a half is because I do think you're right. He inherited an incredible um, stable of talent from Urban, incredible culture, um, support staff, all of that. And I think he wants, and he, I think he is fully aware of that. And I think he wants to ride that wave out and replenish so that he can't be accused of just coming in and taking, you know, riding, doing two years and then out. I don't think he'll do that. And the reason, but I do think he, I think he wants to see, because he has that NFL background. Now, here's something interesting. Because he has that NFL background, He's not like a Steve Spurrier who doesn't really know how it works in the NFL. So he oh, would if he it. if he goes back, he would go eyes wide open. I'm curious, and I think our listeners would be curious to know. Ryan said yesterday that the thing that appeals to him about college is he had turned down a job at one point in time to be Chip Kelly's offensive coordinator at Oregon mm-hmm. because he just didn't want to move. He said, I'd have a young family. I'd move three years in a row. I couldn't tell my kids again, you're going to be the new kid in school again. I couldn't tell my wife again. You're going to have to find new friends again. So he has that, and I love that about him. He has that awareness of family. From a family perspective, as a head coach, what's harder on the family and what's more time-intensive? College coach at an elite, no-margin-for-error program like Ohio State or NFL head coach? Well, I think college coach is definitely more difficult. Okay, why? Well, I mean, recruiting, for one. How many NFL head coaches are going out and kissing the rear ends of 17- and 18-year-old boys, you know, that you have to, yeah, to get them, especially this day and age? Or you got to sit on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat and or Facebook and hit likes all day long. Uh, you have to appease um, fundraisers, board members, fans, alumni groups, so you have to make them happy. Mm-hmm. And as an NFL coach, it's all ball. It's all football. You could care less about anything else but ball. You don't have to do anything else but ball. And so from a family perspective, now I think there probably may be a little bit more stability. I don't know if there's more stability. If you win, there's more stability. But from a family perspective, I would think that an NFL, I don't have this experience, but I just common sense tells me that the NFL would be less time uh with consumption or time consumption mm-hmm. than it would be as a as an NFL head coach or as a college coach. College would be more time intensive. Yes, yeah, yes. absolutely. Don't you agree? 
I, I tend to agree with that, yes. Yeah. There's so because much I think in college there's so much, like, you got to go do this sponsor thing and this university thing, and you got to recruit, and you got, you know, now here's the benefit to college. You're the boss. You're not dealing with, yeah, you're not dealing with Antonio Brown. Yeah. You're not dealing with Antonio Brown. You're not dealing with guys who make more than you do. You're not dealing with guys who, you go into the athletic director's office and say, this kid's a knucklehead, I got to get rid of him. Hey, Gene Smith's like, okay, your decision. In the NFL, uh, there's all kinds of salary cap. Got to have him. We can't replace him. Can't go. You know, you, you don't have 90, 95 guys on scholarship in the NFL. You know, you you got a Greg Robinson left tackle. You can't yeah. go recruit a better one. No. You know, so uh, there are. You know, he's the boss. You said it. He's the boss in the NFL. You got to work with people. Yeah. And you don't. I don't think you want to be the boss in the NFL. It's fraught with peril. Belichick well, pulls it off, but there are a lot of guys who've had that and have blown it. Why Ryan Day is an attractive NFL prospect as a coach, you hit on it, is the fact that he's been there. So he's going into it eyes wide open, so he understands uh, what it will take. So that there's, in fact, the more I think about it, and, you know, my, I'm just giving my opinion. In five years, he'll be a head coach in the NFL. I, I just, it might be up in Cleveland. Who knows? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think it'll be in Cleveland unless the ownership changes. Because I think here's the one thing I've said about Ryan Day, about Mike Yursich, quarterback coach, about Jeff Halfley, about Al Washington. Um, when they stand at the podium and talk. If you did not know their job and the subject matter was not, you know, X's and O's, you could very well buy into the idea that these are young guys who've started their own company and they have highly successful company. These guys are charismatic, they're articulate, they're professional, they're sharp, they understand leadership and all those things. So in that vein, I don't think Ryan Day is going to look at a Dan Snyder where a lot of guys have gone to Washington and failed. Cleveland, where a lot of guys have gone and failed. I don't think Ryan Day is going to take his first of what's usually two swings at the NFL uh, if, Apple. If he has the kind of career that I think... I, if he has the yeah. kind of career that I think he'll have at Ohio State, then he'll be able to pick and choose what job he wants. I mean, the obvious one is New England. I don't know how much longer Belichick's going to want to do it, but Bob Kraft is a very successful owner. Yeah. Belichick and Urban are tight. You think Urban would give Ryan Day a high I recommendation? Think, I think Belichick is done when Brady's done. I don't know. I mean, maybe. But maybe Belichick I mean, wants to say, you know, look, I can Maybe do it. steps back and does general manager role or something like maybe. that. So, But I think Ryan Day will be. I think Josh McDaniels will be the next head coach of the New England Patriots, by the way. And, and so, okay, so that's next year, and then he'll screw it up like he did in Denver, <laughs> and that'll be time for Ryan Day. So there you go. That's uh, that's the discussion on Ryan Day, but he's doing a phenomenal job at Ohio State. Uh, they are rolling. They're in an off week. And I, you know, the concern on off week is do you lose your momentum? First of all, they plan at Northwestern. Northwestern can't score points at all. There's no way Northwestern is a threat <laughs> lose to them. momentum against um, Northwestern. Yeah, I know. It's Northwestern and Maryland. What is it, a debate contest? Are we going to lose our momentum? Or what? I think the off week comes at a really good time for them. And I think the Michigan yeah. State game was the ideal kind of win for them because there's enough there that he can say, look, we need to clean this up and yeah. this up and this up. Then they get another off week after Maryland, 
ahead of Wisconsin. Yeah. Why do they get two bye weeks? I don't know. It's odd. Soft. Soft serve. Everybody is nowadays. Not yeah. back when I played. Not near day. <laughs> no. no. Not absolutely you, not. I mean, you know how it was when you had to run on a wet cross-country course, how difficult that was. It's uphill both ways. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are in the midst of a crisis management implosion by the NBA uh, with this China thing. Now, you and I talked about it the other day, about Daryl Morey's tweet Stand with Hong Kong. And boy, did that tick China off because it's a communist country and an oppressive communist regime and all this stuff. And the NBA does uh, a lot, $4 billion NBA China. Okay, so I've fancied myself over the years a crisis management expert. Yes, you have. And I actually think I'd be pretty good at it. Uh, anybody wants told to hire me, me? You told me numerous times how good so you here, would be at so, so here's what the NBA's done. They sent out a tweet that pretty much threw Daryl Morey under the bus. So did... <laughs> So did the owner of the Houston Rockets. They've apologized profusely. Now, uh, in China, they're not having it. They're pulling down all the banners. They're canceling games. They're pan- canceling personal appearances, all that stuff. The reason the Rockets are big in China is because Yao Ming is the head of the Chinese Basketball right. Federation, and he was you know, the first Chinese player to come over and play with the Houston Rockets. Okay, James Harden. <laughs> Man, James Harden, he must make a ton of money off shoe deals in China because, boy, did he, like, oh, we love China. It's embarrassing for an entity that is as woke as the NBA mm-hmm. uh, and where Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, and others can't wait to rip on things in America they don't like mm-hmm. to go stone silent on China. So here's how I would have handled the crisis management advice to the NBA. I would have said, we in the NBA uh, stand for diversity and freedom. We're not going to tell our employees what to say, nor are we going to tell foreign governments how to run their country. Uh, while we have ideals in America that we hold like dear, it. we understand that in order to be a um, functioning world power, we need to work with people that we disagree with. And while we have um, significant differences uh, in many things with China, we want to set an example for the world that even those we disagree with, we can work with. And so we don't have any problem with what Daryl Morey tweeted. We want to do business uh, in China and relate to China the way that we can and on the common ground that we share. And that's what I would have said. And if China said not good enough, I would have said, okay, here's the deal, China. Not publicly I would have said this, but I looked across the table from him and I'd have said, the NBA existed long before Yao Ming ever came to America. And while we like having $4 billion in our pockets, Mm -hmm. you need us a lot more than we need you. What happens to you in your country if all of a sudden NBA games are not broadcast on Chinese television and your citizens know you took it away? That's not good for your government. That's not good for the way you look. You need us more than we need you, so don't you embarrass us on this. Adam Silver uh, came out in support of the Rockets GM, if I'm not mistaken. He came out in support of his right to free speech. I would argue he has not come out in support of his exercise of free speech. All right. Well, my whole uh, philosophy on this, and and especially if Pop or Steve Kerr or whatever, if they're standing for social justice and they want to make such a strong stand, sometimes you have to be courageous and be willing to sacrifice uh, give a sacrificial uh, gift. That means sacrifice in all parts of your life if you believe in something so much. 
And for those guys to be silent, it looks hypocritical because of the $4 billion. I mean, Steve Kerr is on top of every social justice thing in this country, which if he believes in those certain aspects, more power to him. That's freedom of speech, right? That's something as Americans, I think we all embrace. But if um, speech is silent and you only stand for freedom of speech when your company doesn't tend to lose $4 billion, then I think, you know, you have to look at it. What do I really believe? I stand for everybody to have the right of freedom of speech. But if you're going to stand for something, then stand. You can't take a stance in America and change your stance when it comes to China because yes. you because China's is a communist regime. Oppressive yes. communist regime. So, I mean, you know, it's I think Steve Kerr probably if he would have it all over again, would probably take another look at it because if he did come out and say, look, I believe in free speech. I also understand that there's a business dealing, but I believe in free speech. And that's all he had to say because he, he would say, I can't sit here and fight for social justice and, or, the, or the things that I believe in America. But in the meantime, I watch this oppressive regime and can say, oh, it's okay because I'm getting $4 billion from it. I'll shut my mouth. Yeah, you and I the other day talked about this, and we both agreed if your employer says don't go down this road, <coughs> we would not go down it respectfully unless it conflicted with a deeply held belief where they said you have to take this social justice position, and we'd be like, no, it conflicts with my faith, conflicts right. with my belief. What we're talking about, and, and I don't think our or position— Or don't say anything now. Yeah, or our position today is not inconsistent because— the decision has been made a long time ago by LeBron James, Steve Kerr, and Greg Popovich to be out front on things in America they don't like, and good for them. Yeah. My father fought right. for that. Yeah. Many people have died and given their lives for that. That's fine, but be consistent. You don't have a problem. Like Popovich the other day, in an answer to a namby-pamby, well, China can do what China can do, in the same answer then ripped things in America. And I'm like, dude, like, you can't possibly be that stupid to think that you can defend China and then rip on how things are in America <laughs> and at the same in the same breath. I mean, I really think Greg Popovich is deranged. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they have certain beliefs and and they have a right to express those beliefs. If you don't want to express those beliefs about an oppressive regime in China, then don't say anything. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I want to be careful because, you know, I do think though there is a way to say it. Like I believe in free speech, but I also understand that the company does business in China. But I, you know, I, I will always stand for free speech. Yeah, so I think uh, a, like how you said it was good. I might hire you in that, my next thank crisis. You. Thank you. Well, let's hope you don't have any. Okay. Uh, email the show Spielman and Hooley podcast or Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com. Uh, here's one from Joey. He says, could you guys please address the job? Mike Yersich, the quarterback coach at Ohio state is doing. I haven't heard anything about him. He's been invisible, uh, regarding maybe his input to the offense, Justin Fields, what he's doing, his recruiting, uh, Mike Yersich is doing a great job. Justin Fields got 26 touchdowns. He works intimately with him. Ryan day does too. Um, 
But Yursich has been out in front of the media, I think, twice. I've yeah. been impressed with him. I just said, if you didn't know who he was, you'd think he's the CEO of a company. Well, I think when you look at Ryan Day, and, and besides judging the product on the field, you have to judge the people that he surrounds himself with to implement what he wants done. And the only way to judge what he's been able to do, Yursich, is by the product on the field, and especially the product that he coaches. <coughs> uh, Phil says, I just wanted to you know that I appreciate you guys are back and that I missed you while you were away. You always make my nights go easier by listening to your show while working. Thanks for the insights on sports as well as faith. That's uh, Coach Phil. Thanks, Coach Phil. Uh, coach Phil is the assistant coach on my uh, daughter Katie's high school soccer yeah. team. And we were going to touch on, uh, <laughs> on uh, that Today, my daughter uh, scored a goal in a 1-0 game the other night. I know. I saw your proud father uh, tweet. Proud father tweet, uh, the video of her scoring that goal on a direct kick. Where can we find that video? Because uh, I Twitter, encourage her. Jonathan Alder Girls Soccer. <laughs> when you watch the video, you'll see in the lower right-hand corner of the video, because it's shot from far away, uh, a guy with his back to the camera stand up and throw both fists in the air. <laughs> I thought and you had a me. bad shoulder, too. <laughs> no me. pain. You had no pain yeah. that time. Yeah. But you and I had a great conversation about uh, this experience as dads, watching our kids play sports, or just watching our kids go through piano recitals, plays, yes. all those things. And all dads can understand this. And all dads who are, you know, got toddlers, you got this to look forward to. Yeah. The highs and the lows. It's a... Watching your kids play sports or whatever activity they do can be the most enjoyable and most miserable experience of your life at the same time, by the way, because you live and die with everything. Yeah. I had a coach, college coach tell me one time when we were talking about this very same subject, he said, you know, when you watch your kids, you never really think, if you're honest, you never really think uh you always see the negative because your eyes never leave that kid and i know that's the case for me so every little mistake that they make is magnified a ton because that's all we're watching and so watching your video of katie getting that game-winning goal the coolest thing for me was i was celebrating with you because I know what that feeling is like, and I know how proud you were. And those feelings, and to be able to experience like that are, are rare because it's just the nature of the game. It's a team sport, and it's rare when you have that type of opportunity in that moment in time. Everything comes together. Then to see you jump out of that seat is, uh, was something that I thought was the coolest thing. The other thing, on the other end, is that when I said that it's, it gives you such great joy or can take you to a level of misery uh, like no other is when things don't go well. And I had that happen to me with my daughter that's a freshman basketball player at Bowling Green. Um, she was doing really well with practicing with the varsity, probably was scheduled for some playtime. And I get a phone call in July, beginning of July, and, or July 13th, I think I got the phone call, something like that. But anyway, all of a sudden, it's that voice of your kid. 
I don't know if you ever did. This is just my mm. natural paranoia that when you see your kids are calling you and it's either late at night or this can't be good. Yeah, and then you hear the uncontrollable tears, or they can't, they don't make sense, and I, I said, oh. so right now I know something's wrong. So I, I do my best. I gather myself because my, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Right? Then I hear ACL. You know, just out of the blue. And I, I got her to calm down. I got her to tell me what happened. And she goes, uh, I think I tore my ACL. And I say, and the, I go, did you talk to the trainer? Yeah, and the trainer thinks so. So I said, Macy, don't worry. It's going to be okay. I'll be up there in two hours. And while I'm talking in this calm voice, I actually prayed right there at that moment in time to let me be uh, strong. So you know what I said? Be on my guard. Stand firm in my faith. Have courage, have strength, and do everything with love. So that was able to take a Bible verse and actually apply it to a real-life situation where I was caught off guard. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And 14. Okay. Yes, it is. 16, uh, 13, and 14. Okay. Do, do everything with love is verse 14. Okay. Why I don't know why you always question me. Same. Nineteen words, five statements. All right. So I so I'm that's on, great. That's great. So I'm on my way up there, and I'm talking to her on and off, and you know she settled down. And while I'm driving, my heart is breaking. Mm. It's completely broken, but I can't show that. And so I'm encouraging mothers and fathers, you know, that there's times where you have to fake it. Yeah. You have, there's times where you have to fake being strong. I mean, there were many times in, in Stephanie's journey where I had to fake being strong, uh, just to, I think, um, be there for somebody else where you have to have courage. Got to be that anchor in the storm. And and you have to face your fears and face your fear, and face your your loved one's fear. So never was a verse more apropos than it was at that point in time where I can take a verse and directly apply it to my life in that time. And now, you know, she's healing well, everything's good. She was home this weekend, and she's walking around. You'd never know she had surgery if you looked at her in two months. Thank you, Dr. Pete Edwards at Orthopedic One. There's another free plug. There but, you go, Dr. Pete. But it's funny because I, I tease her all the time because, you know, they're starting to get going and practice. And she said, Dad, man, this is this is kind of hard, you know. I'm, this is the first time that in my athletic career that I'm not able to participate, and I you know, I was, I was telling her, yeah, that, you know, I understand that's hard. There's, and she says, but there's great lessons. I can be a supporter. I can be the cheerleader. I can be an encourager for my team, which I don't know where she got that from. Cause I certainly didn't teach her those lessons, but I said, great. I said, Macy, stop being so selfish. She goes, what are you talking about? She goes, all you're telling me is about how you feel. What about me? How about my feelings? I don't get to watch you play. Do you know what that does to me? It kills me. Yeah. Maybe think about me once in a while. And we just started laughing because she knows, you know, she knows my personality. But I just want I just want to encourage all parents and mothers and fathers that there's going to be roller coaster rides with your kids. I know you know this and just know that you're not alone because sometimes you feel when something bad happens or there's 
an unfortunate accident, whether it's in sports and or whatever in life, that sometimes you feel or we feel that nobody could possibly understand what I'm going through. And there's people that can. So just kind of hang in there. And you have such inner strength and inner courage within yourselves. And that can be fostered by the Holy Spirit in you to give you that strength. It's not what you have. It's God giving you that strength and that courage and that love to be able to handle anything that comes your way. I promise you, you can do that. I've lived it, so I know. And many of you have lived it out there. Absolutely. And for me, that joy of standing up and exulting was related to the fact that she was struggling a little bit with her confidence. She scored a bunch of goals this year. It's not the first time she scored, so that wasn't the joy. The joy was we had prayed together about her just playing unbridled and with passion, and um, on that kick, I saw her doing that. And to see her Isn't celebrate, cool? to see her joy. Yeah. You know, the, you know the definition of love to me? One of the definitions of love is when we get more joy and more satisfaction and more contentment, not complacency, but contentment, when we see our loved ones achieve something and we enjoy that more than if we achieve that very same thing ourselves. That's love. Amen. Amen. So that'll do it for a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Uh, you can always find details on what we're doing and uh, the podcast itself at SpielmanandHooley.com. Uh, enjoy your Wednesday. Enjoy your Thursday. And we'll be back and talk with you on Friday.